Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. I want to begin today's broadcast with a passage of scripture that I think will be very beneficial and helpful to us as we journey into the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. We had an extensive Bible study last night, and we went deep into the Word of God to really get a, uh, a proper view of the eschatological unfolding of end time events, how things are going to work and let the Bible interpret itself. And it was wonderful. And I've actually got a little bit more to share today on the air out of a question that was asked last night in the Bible study, which I thought was an excellent question. But for now, I want to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And here's what we read. Very familiar passage of scripture to everybody out there, I'm sure. But here's what the word of God says to all. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And this is very interesting because the chapter right before this, chapter 12, was all about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we love to operate in the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit. We love that. The operations, the administrations, uh, the diversity of gifts that are available to all believers everywhere throughout all time. Holy Spirit has never changed. He is the Holy Spirit. He brings these gifts into our lives. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all about those gifts. We spend a lot of time on those. But in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul takes everything to another level. He takes us into a higher place. I mean, I love the idea that we pray in tongues. There's interpretation of tongues. There's words of knowledge. 
There's words of wisdom. There's revelation. There's healing. There's miracles. There's even a gift of faith. Uh, then we have the administrations that are uh, given to people that uh, know how to administrate the kingdom of God and do the business of the kingdom. And I mean, it's brilliant, really, that this is all orchestrated by the Holy Spirit of God. But then again, Paul, knowing what was going on in Corinth, he calls them to a higher way of thinking, a higher level, not to stay just in the gifts. Now, the gifts of the Spirit are much higher than the ordinary uh, skilled, gifted people in the world. You know, the gifted men and women come onto this earth. They're born with generational blessings or generational curses. And there are gifted, talented people. But when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, we get these gifts that belong to God that are intended for us to operate in to the benefit of the entire body of Christ, not to ourselves. So this is all excellent. It's a higher way of being a mere uh, human being. <clears throat> but Paul says to the Christian community that's operating in the gifts, I want to take you yet higher. And so again, he begins with, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. <clears throat> now, just to set the pace, the word charity there is what's going to be used throughout the rest of these scriptures. And it is the agape, the agape. And the definition of agape is affection, okay? If I have not affection or goodwill or benevolence, love, brotherly love or love feasts, uh, it's especially this word is designed for a plurality, a love feast. So Paul's saying, though I have all these gifts, and I could speak in tongues and the tongues of angels and of men, but if I don't have the love in the corporate setting of believers, I become a tinkling symbol, and we'll go look at that again, but I want you to really understand this isn't just the general, uh, you know, unconditional love for everybody in the world. He is talking to the church, and he's saying to the church, to believers, to the ecclesia, all right, you got all these gifts, that's really cool, but if you don't have the love feast, which is interesting because we're entering into the season of the feast, the fall feast of the Lord, which will begin on the first day of Tishri, the seventh month, um, which is coming towards us in about 30 days. We'll get the proper dates for that, but that's what they call Rosh Hashanah, or it's the first day of the seventh month, that's the fall feast of trumpets. Ten days later is the Feast of Yom Kippur, or we know it as the Day of Atonement. And then four days after that, we get into the Feast of Tabernacles, which is ultimately the love feast, the love feast. This is the only feast of all the feasts. There are seven, three major feasts, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, seven connected feasts. This Feast of Tabernacles is the only feast to have been fulfilled. I mean, it's absolutely main. The atonement was made. Uh, the trumpets, you know, were, are, have, have blasted. I mean, there's so much about all of that. Um, but the love feast. So in Corinthians, again, if there isn't the affection, the benevolence, especially plural, a love feast amongst the body of Christ, or dear love, genuine affectionate love, 
you know, just not the, the rough stuff that goes around most of the time. So then he says, if I don't have this charity, this love for the body of Christ that I've been enjoined to by the Holy Spirit, I am become, here's what I will become, as sounding brass, and that sounding, the word sounding there is the echo, and it means the use of the roaring of the sea. Uh, it's used of making a loud noise or to reverberate or to roar, okay? And so I become a loud, what, brass, which we know that the brass here spoken of as the calcos, and it literally is speaking of um, an instrument. It is the calcos, the idea of hallowing out as a vessel. So it's like a trumpet to a degree. Uh, this metal being chiefly used for that purpose, it's copper. Um, so it also speaks of brass and money. But this is talking particularly about that hallowed out vessel, and I, it becomes a loud, roaring um, vessel that is not producing. It's just a clanging symbol. And so we don't want that to happen to us. So I become as sounding brass or a tinkling symbol, a tinkling symbol. And that word tinkling there is the aladzo, and that means uh, to vociferate, uh, to wail, to clang, to tinkle, uh, to uh, repeat frequently the cry, Allah, 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 whatever. Uh, so it's all about wailing, lamenting. So we don't want to have that kind of spirit about us. And without love, that's exactly what will happen. And, of course, we know what a symbol is. The symbol is the kumbalan, and that is uh, producing when struck together as a musical instrument. So we don't want the wailing sound and the, you know, the negative sound uh, of that kind of thing. And without love, that's what the message becomes. Love is necessary to everything that we speak. That's why we speak the truth in love. So though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, love, the plural love feast, the affections for the body of Christ, I become a sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal. And though, verse 2, I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And those are two gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, the chapter preceding this. These are two more of the gifts. So we have tongues, and then we have the prophecy, and then we have the gift of knowledge. And, um, and though I have all faith, which was another one of the gifts in the 1 Corinthians 12, so that I could remove mountains. So now I have mountain-moving faith. I have all knowledge. I understand all mysteries. I have the gift of prophecy and have not agape, again, the same exact word, if I have not the benevolence, the plural love feast for the body of Christ that I'm enjoined to, if I don't have love for them, I am nothing. This is what Paul said. I am nothing if I don't have love, and yet I have all those powerful gifts. Okay? Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not 
charity, it profits me nothing. In other words, I give all my stuff to the good, uh, to poor people, give all my goods, right, to the poor, and I could actually go to the stake and be burned, okay? My body could be burned on the stake in my zeal for God, even that without the affectionate agape love for the body of Christ, the plural love feast, genuine, affectionate love. If I don't have it, my being burned at the stake, giving all my goods to the poor, does what? It says, it profits me nothing. It profits me nothing. So already we're thinking about a life. Let me just put it this way. A life that a person, let's just take any individual, say this individual speaks with tongues, uh, the tongues of angels, right? Um, they are a person that has prophecy, so they, they speak in tongues. They have the gift of prophecy, the foretelling of future events. Uh, they understand all mysteries. Uh, they have all knowledge, very intelligent people. Uh, they have all faith so that they have the ability to move mountains. They have mountain-moving faith. Uh, they bestow all their goods to the poor. That looks very beneficial, right? And they would even give their body to be burned at the stake. <clears throat> Sounds like a pretty great person, wouldn't you agree? I mean, if you're looking at that person outwardly and you're seeing all that they're doing, wow, they pray in tongues. They have the gift of knowledge, the gift of prophecy. They understand all the mysteries. Wow, they, are, they have mountain-moving faith. Look at that. And look at they give all their goods to the poor. And, and, and they, this person has so much zeal, they would be willing to burn at the stake. And we would think to ourselves, that's a great person. And yet Paul said that same person not having the plural love for the body of Christ, the love feast, the affectionate, benevolent love for the people they are with in the ecclesia that they have been joined to, none of it matters. None of those things matter. And yet we would judge, most of us, would judge that a person that is like that, that has all that going for them, that they must be one of the ranking, high-ranking people in heaven. I mean, my God, look at their mountain-moving faith. Look at that, all that they have. But according to what Paul is saying, if that individual doesn't have the agape love, nothing that they're doing will matter in eternity before God. Okay, they may have... Men's admiration for what they do, but not God's. Verse 4, Paul went on to say that this love, and again, I want to just give you that full-blown meaning one more time, that agape, that affection, that goodwill, that brotherly love, the love feast, the benevolence, okay? He says again that this love suffers long. Okay, so here's what love is now. And suffer long, that phrase is the makrethomeo in the Greek. Nobody's going to remember that, and neither will I, by the way. It means to be of a long spirit. It means to not lose heart. So love is long-suffering. It doesn't lose heart. And listen to the, the other parts of the definition. It means to persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. Okay, so love has this ability to it. This agape love 
is patient with everybody around them. So a person that's doing all the other stuff can become very impatient with the people around them and they're not operating in agape, which means all the other stuff they're doing really doesn't matter in the eternal purpose of things, okay? Uh, it also means that to be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. Notice that the definition is putting a person right smack in the middle of other believers who could be offensive at times, okay? They could be injurious. Uh, they could be, uh, you know, in, in the midst of some trouble and all those issues. So it also means to be mild and slow in avenging, not quick-tempered, right? Not hurrying up and getting back even. It literally means slow to anger or slow to punish. Um, it also means, again, I love this, to be long-spirited or forbearing or patient and patiently endure. So if we go back to verse 4 and we read it again, charity suffers long. It's all of that with the people around you. See, it's a love feast to the body. So the love is towards the body. We seem to be more patient with people outside of our own little group sometimes. We admit that. So the, the love, the meaning of love is within the house and to show this love. But what else is love? Number two, love is kind. And we don't have a hard time with that, but the Greek word there is krestuome, and it literally means to show oneself mild, uh, to be kind or to use kindness. And it also means to show oneself uh, benevolent, benevolent. And so this is the kindness. So love is kind. Uh, love is long-suffering. Love envies not. And the word envy, and where would that envy come? Not from the world, but from within the church. Remember, this is all in the church. It's the zelo. And that word means to burn with zeal. So one doesn't burn with zeal to be heated or to boil with envy, hatred or anger. Maybe emotionally people have had that sense go up within them. And they felt that heated or that boiling emotion or that spirit of envy, hatred, anger. Uh, it also speaks to, uh, to have warmth against or for. Uh, it means to covet or to desire what others may have, to be jealous over what others may have. So love doesn't do that. Love is not envy. It also says that it does not vaunt itself. And the word vaunt there is the per per uamei, again, per per uamei, another tough word. And it means to boast. So love does not boast oneself. Uh, it doesn't put one on a self-display, employing rhetorical embellishments and extolling oneself excessively. So in other words, love doesn't usually refer to itself. Um, it does not put itself on display by employing rhetorical embellishments, in other words, exaggerations, in extolling one's self excessively. And that would happen within the body. Someone would stand up and they would draw a tremendous amount of attention by embellishing some of the things they've been through to draw that kind of um, necessity they have for being excessively um, embellished and exaggerated. It's vaunting themselves. Love doesn't do that either. So we have in verse four, the final thing, it is not puffed up. It is not puffed up. And we know what that is, puffed up with pride. But the phrase is fuseo, and that literally means uh, 
Well, it's interesting. Uh, it means a blowing, to inflate, to make proud or haughty. So uh, love doesn't inflate itself. A person that has love doesn't inflate itself, doesn't make proud or haughty. Um, it doesn't swell up or uh, cause to become lofty. All right. So these things love does not do. Again, love does suffer long, long-spirited. Okay. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not vaunt itself, and it is not puffed up. Verse 5 says, it does not behave itself unseemly. And to be unseemly is the askemoneo, and that literally means to act unbecomingly, uh, to behave unseemly or uncomely. Okay? It's, just, it's, it's a rude behavior, rude behavior. And verse 5 continues to say, that it does not seek her own. Love in the, in the corporate setting of the love feast, it's not drawing onto itself. It is seeking the well-being of others in the group, in the body. And goes on to say, it is not easily provoked. And I like the word easily, but that word is paroxono. And that means uh, it doesn't get sharp or stimulated or urged or irritated or uh, angry. It uh, means to sharpen alongside, to exasperate. Uh, it's not easily stirred. So love does not get exasperated easily. Okay. And then it thinks no evil. All right. So in the body, this individual doesn't think evil against others around them. And that thinking is imagining. Let's look at the actual word for think. It's the logizome, and it means to reckon, to compute, to calculate. Uh, it talks about taking inventory or to estimate, and that is taking inventory of other people in a negative way, in a negative way, in the body of Christ. So here we have what uh, love is and what it does and what it doesn't do, and this must become a part of the love definition in order for it to be real. And then in verse 6, one, a couple more things here. Love rejoices not in iniquity. And we know that iniquity is that sin. It's the adikya, and it literally means injustice. It does not rejoice in injustice or a deed violating law, uh, legal injustice, okay, wrongfulness, um, just unjust things. So love does not rejoice in that which is wrong. And then finally, it rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. And that word truth is the aletheia. That word means, and it just means verity. It means truth, the aletheia. And uh, what is true in any matter under consideration? Uh, what is true in things appertaining to God? Uh, in the duties of man, moral and religious truth. It talks about um, true notions of God. Don't have false notions of God, which are open to human reason. Uh, without his supernatural intervention, that would happen. So truth as a personal excellence. We love that word excellence. So this is what love does, rejoices in the truth. And then verse 7 is probably the most powerful Alongside verse 8, these are the ones we want to get to. 
Here's what love does. In all those definitions, love bears all things. And that word is stego, the word bear. It means to protect or to cover or to preserve. Uh, it conceals love. It roofs over. It covers with silence and endures patiently. So love covers is what it does. It covers over. It protects the body. So one individual in the body that walks in love will cover the body. They'll cover the body. There's protection involved. And then it says that it believes all things. So regardless of what things look like in the corporate love feast, setting of the koinonia, the fellowship of the body of Christ, this individual that has love will believe all things for the body. It hopes all things. It, it is persuaded. It hopes all things for the body, and it endures all things. So whatever goes on in the body, it's not quick to bail out and get a divorce. And, you know, we live in a world today, if somebody looks at you cross-eyed, you know, I'm out of here kind of thing. So this is love in the body of Christ. This is what Paul was telling the Corinthians who had the gifts flowing but they really weren't operating in the agape love of God. And that could only be a Holy Spirit powerful um, reality. It, it's not something that comes from the self of man. It must come through the baptism of the Holy Spirit where the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts abundantly by the Holy Ghost, Romans chapter 5. But my favorite part of this whole thing is 1 Corinthians 13.8. It says here that love, the love that he was just talking about never fails. Love never fails. And that word fail is the epipto, and that means it never falls out. It never uh, loses. It doesn't fall from a place from which one cannot keep. It doesn't fall powerless under anything. Uh, it's not without effect. It doesn't drop away or is not driven out of one's course. When you're operating in the love of God, you will not be driven out of one's course. It means to lose. It never loses. It never becomes inefficient. And a lot of our ministry can become very inefficient, even though we're very gifted. You can go to Pentecostal churches or charismatic churches or Holy Spirit-filled churches, and there could be dramatic gifts and operations and words of knowledge and mountain-moving faith. And, I mean, it could all be there, and everybody's feeding into it, and everybody's gifted, it's powerful, it's woo! But when it comes to the heart-to-heart, hearts being knit together in love, agape, affection, benevolence, care for, uh, love that we just talked about, none of that matters. And yet I think a lot of people, probably most people, would think if you stepped into a church where the gifts were flowing and the supernatural miracles, signs, wonders, everybody would say, now that's the church of God. When in reality, what people need to say, well, I came to this church and there's love in this church. There's love in these people. That's the true witness of a true representation of the body of Christ, a church that has love, not great uh, oratory skilled speakers, not motivational speakers, not great pastors, apostles, prophets, because quite frankly, if the fivefold ministry is an operation 
in the ecclesia, it should be laboring to bring people up to this kind of agape love towards one another, and of course, always towards God first. So, uh, which makes us in our character more of who Christ is, and we're to be growing up into him into all things. So, I love it. I just love that this, there is a love that never fails. I mean, whatever you're facing in your life, whatever challenges that you may be facing, whatever things that you have to overcome in your life, it is and will always boil down at the end of the day, not how much preparation we've done, not how much money we've given, not how much we were willing to lay our life on the stake and be burned in the fire, not how much knowledge we had, because we know knowledge puffs up, love edifies. Uh, It's not how many mysteries we understood or none of those things, none of those things. It's at the end of the day, it is love out of a pure heart. This is the end of the commandment, love out of a pure heart. And as we're nearing the end, uh, we need to be cautious. We need to be careful about what's going on in our hearts towards the body of Christ first. And then we'll talk about how we should conduct ourselves with the world. So if you walk in love, you're going to win. You're going to win. You can't lose. That's what the scriptures tell us. Now, he said again in verse 8, love never fails. But where there be prophecies, they're going to fail. Where there be tongues, they're going to cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. What is going to come that is perfect? Perfect love casts out all fear. When love comes and is matured, or has come to a place of being complete, when the benevolence and the genuine care for the body of Christ comes, keep this in context. This isn't about you and God. This isn't about you and your spouse. This isn't about you and your children. This is about the body of Christ that God has set you in. And wherever you function in that body, the ultimate purpose of your being in it is to find and discover and bind in all of ours the love of God for that body first. The whole First Corinthians thing is for the love feast, the plural body of Christ, the ecclesia. Every single member in that body must receive the agape, the benevolence that comes from you. And when the church is operating in the same kindness and benevolence and goodwill and love, brotherly love, when it operates that way, it becomes a very powerful force. Even if there were zero gifts involved and there were no gifting whatsoever, no praying in tongues, no faith-moving mountain stuff, if there was no gifting but a church had the agape love of God, It would be a very powerful force. But now, the balance is, is to have both. To have the gifts of the Spirit in full-blown power and operation in all the different members of that body 
Somebody operates in the word of knowledge. Somebody operates in the word of wisdom. Somebody's operating in faith. Somebody has miracles. Somebody has healing. Somebody has tongues and interpretation of tongues. Somebody has faith. So all these gifts fully operating. And you can operate in as many as you want to allow the Holy Spirit to manifest through you. Because they're all from the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit's in you, these gifts could be moving at different times when necessary through you. But if everybody's operating in the gifts of the Spirit, how powerful. And then you cover that with a more powerful reality, the love for that body, for that church, that ecclesia. Love, genuine love. No vaunting, no, I mean, just none of this stuff. That is the true church, which in the Greek is ekklesia. The true called out ones that have been set together in a local assembly to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, but most importantly to operate in the love, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And out of that love flows joy and peace. And I think sometimes we looked at the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit and they said, well, I'm working on patience and I'm working on uh, uh, faithfulness and I'm working on kindness and I'm working on joy and I'm working. It doesn't work that way. What we find is that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And out of that love, the joy will flow. The kindness will flow. The peace will flow. Because love is the fruit. And everything else flows out of love. Now we have the fruit of the Spirit, which is the divine nature, love, God is love. We're to be like God. And God, there, there is no darkness in God. There's no fear in God. He is perfect love. God is love. So if we're to be transformed into his image and likeness and conformed into his image and likeness, then we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind into the conforming of his image and to be love. And the way, the way we practice that, the way we become that, is to the body of Christ that we've been enjoined to. God has put people in a body by his spirit, usually not a bunch of people they just get along with, usually with people they don't necessarily get along with, like the Jew and the Gentile were in the churches, right? They were miles, worlds apart, and yet they were called to love, that love was stronger than the law, love was stronger than everything, the gifts, and so you have been brought to a body to learn how to love every single member. Sometimes in churches, people get into little cliques. Oh, I like so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and I hang out with them, and that's my group, that's my clique. We get along with each other, even though there are inward frustrations and that type of thing, but that's not, that's not the completion of love. Love is showing that same agape to the least esteemed in the body of Christ, the person that maybe is unloving, you know, maybe people that are just kind of cantankerous or whatever, and yet we are set to love every single person in the body of Christ. And without that, our churches aren't really worth much. Without the love 
Our churches aren't worth much. And I know the external facade sometimes we could get dressed up and we could go and, and there could be beautiful music and we could get involved and we could sit there and sing together and clap together. I know externally it looks so wonderful sometimes, but when you get out of the church and you get down to the nitty gritty and you get into life and you're doing life with other people in a corporate setting, that's where it gets a little rougher. It gets a little tougher, a little bit more frustrating and anger, aggravation and a little, hey, man, don't talk to me. Yeah, blah, blah whatever. But that's where we really learn love, not by going to church on a Sunday and just kind of getting along for an hour and a half. And that's why corporate body of Christ was always designed by God for the ecclesia to live in cities. And in the cities, there is an ecclesia. There's only one church, okay? And so all those believers were to be operating together um, as, 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 a, as a mighty force. Today we have scattered churches everywhere, so we bring it down to our own local assembly. Whether you have 5,000 people or 50 people, it's the same call to love them all. And you and I change by loving other people. In the body of Christ, first God, then the body of Christ. God, obviously but then he wants it in the body. And sometimes Christians go to church, but they don't love the church members as much as they do their own family members who don't believe. And that, again, is, a, is, is it's awkward. That's not the way it works. Jesus said, my mother, my brother are those who do the will of God. And so when we get sent into a church and the Holy Spirit sets us there, well, I'm, I'm good here as long as everybody's doing great, but the moment it gets ugly, I'm out of here. That's ridiculous. There's no love in that. There's no production of love. There's no producing of love. You've got to know what it's like to be rejected by your brothers and sisters, how to be mistreated, disrespected. You need to know what it's like to be offended by them. And if, if we don't get through that without coming out of it with pure gold love, then we just did, we didn't pass the test. We just didn't become. We just wouldn't do it. We resisted it. And a lot of people, this is the death, by the way. This is the cross. This is what it means to pick up the cross. Because when you're with a local assembly, a body, you do die daily sometimes. Okay? But that cross is also a nullification of all the negativity in the world in which we live as well. So, but this is the way it works. And when that which is perfect has come in me, when that perfect love of God comes in me, then that which is in part shall be done away. All this prophesying and knowledge and teaching about faith, moving mountains, and, and you know, all those good doctrinal things and those wonderful gifts. But when love comes, it's done. When I walk in the love of God, towards the body of Christ immediately around me. If I can just do it, that's why it's better to be in a smaller church, quite frankly, because there's fewer people to deal with. And if you could just work it with them, you know, if you're in 5,000 people, you go ahead. you got 5,000 people. You're called to love. Better go do it. But the bottom line is just this is where we want to be. And then when I was a child, I spoke as a child. 
I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I was a child. What does the word child mean there? Three times it's used. And it's the Greek word napios. And the napios refers to an infant not speaking. A not speaking infant. A simple-minded, immature Christian is the actual Greek meaning. A simple-minded, immature Christian. A non-speaking infant. That's what Paul's using here. When I was that, when I was that, I spoke as one. I understood as one. I thought as one. You go back, what does an infant think about? What do they talk like? What do they understand? Basically nothing, right? But when I became a man, an anyar, and that means uh, a husband, a sir, a man, in other words, grown up. When I became a man, what happened? I put away childish things. I put away childish things. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and called them carnal babes. Called them babes. Why? Because their spiritual intelligence was that of a child, a baby. The way they were talking to one another was that of a baby. And the way that they were understanding was like a baby. And he was dealing with these fully grown people in the flesh, but spiritually immature. And he's trying to get them, now that they, the baby has the gifting, they were like, woohoo, we got it. But Paul is wanting to grow them up in the love of God because that's how we become mature. When we start loving other people in spite of all the time, when it becomes the natural thing to do, and don't get me wrong, love to me, everything the definition of love is, is powerful. It's not weak. So we put away childish baby things. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then when? When perfect love comes face to face, how many of you would like to have a face-to-face encounter with God? He loves us as babies. He loves us as nappions, infants, non-speaking infants, unintelligible infants. He loves us. He loves us as technon. In other words, little children now, five to seven, eight years old, little children, the technon. He loves us. We're growing up. We're getting there. But he's longing for the huyas, the fully mature, that become like his firstborn son. God's first and only begotten born son is Yahshua, Jesus. And he walked on this earth to show us how to walk, and what to become like him. He's the standard to all. And obviously, we go from the different stages 
of the Napion to the Technon, and then we keep growing into. But sometimes there is a unwillingness or a, 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 a deficiency in the development. Uh, there's something uh, hindering or blocking the growth. And so that is the danger because rightfully in the kingdom and by the spirit, we should be going from glory to glory, the glory of a Napion to the glory of a Technon to the glory of a Huias. We should be going from faith to faith, strength to strength. We should be growing up. And if we're the same that we were five years ago, and there's no evidence of growth in our love, it is always in the realm of love. If there's no evidence of that growth, something's wrong. Oh, I'm into the gifts. I could prophesy. I could preach. I could do all of it. But if my love for the body of Christ that I'm enjoined to is not growing, well, I could be cut off. Eventually, God will look into the heart and say, you know what? There's an unwillingness here to love. And so I'm going to start bringing my axe to the tree, and I'm going to start cutting branches off the tree. If there's no fruit on the branch, the fruit that God's looking for, the agape, the love in the body, because he, for some reason, it's so important to God that his kids love each other, the way that 1 Corinthians 13 says. That's so important to him. By this all men shall know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So there's something as a dynamic to the Father's heart. We could all say, oh, I love God, I love God, whom we have not seen. But then how can we say we love God if we don't love our brethren who we do see? So God rebukes that spirit of, I love the Lord, and yet we don't love the people that we're with. And God says, that's impossible. You don't. It's a lie. You're deceiving yourself. And so this is critical, very critical. We want to face-to-face with God, so I want to get along with growing up in the love of God. How many of you would say right now, I've got some growing up to do? I've got some things I need to put away. When I became a man, I put away. Who's going to put it away? Who's going to put away that childish thinking, that childish response, that childish attitude? Who's going to put it away? If not you, who? And if not now, when? You must put it away. I must put it away. For one purpose, I need to move on in the agape love of God. At the end of the age that we're living in right now, where violence and hatred are about to explode all over this earth, an offense like we've never seen before, and fear that will choke your spirit like never before. It's all coming. And if we do not have this love growed up in us, we are in trouble. We're in trouble. And so we got to labor in it. We've got to labor in it. Every one of us. We've got to concentrate, focus, and think, am I operating in the love of God? And the only right thing to do is go back to 1 Corinthians 13 again and again and read what love is and read what love does and read what love doesn't do. And then operate in that and just learn to walk in love. Forget about rules and regulations and all that stuff. Rules and regulations and even giftings are so secondary. Love is the fulfillment of everything. Now, I don't know about you, 
But when I read what love is, that's the kind of person I want to be. How about you? I don't want to be cranky, aggravated, frustrated, fearful, offended. It just is an ugly life. Love. My God, it produces joy and peace, kindness. Love is, you know, caring and and, and concerned about others and not all, you know, wrapped up into me. Uh, This is the kind of person. This is the Christian's reality. This is what we are to become. And then Paul says, when I have a face-to-face with him in verse 12, now I know in part, but then when that face-to-face comes, I shall know even as also I am known. I will know him the way that he knows me. That's intimacy. That is biblical intimacy. That is biblical intercourse, the knitting together of our hearts. When? When I have love for the corporate body of Christ, because that is the outworking and demonstration of the love that I claim to have for God. So if I really love God, then I'm going to love the people he's asked me to love. If I don't love God, then I'm not going to love the people he's asked me to love. It's that simple. So if I really want to show my love for God, I have to show it in my love for the body that God brought me to. I love New Wine Ministry Church. The people in New Wine Ministry Church said, I love this church. And how, what, what's the deal? That is something being worked out. And the church down the corner, they may love each other. They may say they love each other. They may, they may have that. But it's something that will definitely have to be worked out. And so all the integration of our spiritual life, the cleansing of the soul, the washing of the water of the word, the, all the stuff that goes on into making it a solid reality is really working out our salvation more than anything. Now, we are called afterwards to love our enemies, you know, stuff like that. We get that. And I'm pretty sure that if love is really growing in the house, that our ability to love others outside is going to be more effective. So what are we talking about love for today? Don't you know that there's a big stimulus package being spent in trillions? I don't care. I'll be honest with you. I don't care. I don't care. I honestly, it, it, to me, in comparison to this conversation, I just don't care about their stimulus plan. I'm more interested in end-time Bible prophecy and, and what's going on in the world that I can look through the biblical lens at the signs of the times and get things and go, wow. And you know what? There's only one conclusion to what's going on in the world right now. If you haven't awakened unto it yet, maybe this is a really good time. That everything going on in the world, when you look through the biblical lens, is the thing that Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, flee to the mountains of Judea. Come out of her, my people. Go into your chamber. Shut the door until the indignation be overpassed. Get ready to go into the wilderness. Or I will protect you because you have learned. Now, the expression, the greatest expression of what we have just been talking about, this whole 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there was a church that actually found it. 
they did it. And it was the church at Philadelphia. And in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Philadelphia was known as the obedient church. And why were they obedient? Watch this, because they loved one another. Here it is. It goes in Revelation 3, 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now watch what will happen when a local assembly does what we just were talking about, operates in love. This is the church that emulates that call. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word. What was that word? Love one another. That was his word. That's what God wants. That's what he's after in everything. That's the call. He said, you've kept it with your little strength and has not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. You know, God says, I love this church because this church loved me and obeyed me. If you do what I say, then you are my friends. I mean, this is, this is intense stuff here. I love it. So, verse 10, because you have kept the word of my patience, you stayed in love. You stayed in love. I also will keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So this church is going to be there, and here it is coming on the earth, but I'm going to keep you because your local assembly maintained their love for one another. And they were salt and they were light in the world that they lived in Philadelphia. This is the church in Philadelphia, the ecclesia that was in there, set, planted by God to be a seed, to sperm out, to spread out into all that society. They kept it going. They did not fail in their love for one another. And their love for one another effulgenced into their society. And it was a beautiful witness. And, and Jesus was saying, because you have done that, you have honored me by loving one another. You are the church of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Now I'm going to keep you. And if you want an end time strategy for your life, you need to belong to a local assembly. You need to submit yourself to the fivefold ministry that's in operation there. And you need to love every member of that body. That's your calling. That's your school. That's what God set up for his preparation so that you will fall in love and show that affection and love with the body of Christ. And then you're going to see some supernatural things going on in your life. And you're going to go on into eternal life. And it's going to be real for you. A lot of people 
show up in the Gospel of Matthew and say, Lord, Lord, open unto me. And he says, I don't know you. He says, wait a second, they say. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did many great wonders in your name. We had all the gifts. And he says, get away from me. I don't know you. You didn't love the way that I asked you to love the local assembly, which means you didn't love me. I had no intimacy. There's no knitting together of our hearts. I'm sorry. And they will stand at the door and knock, and they will be cast into outer darkness, and they will weep and wail and lament throughout eternity. Do you want that? I don't want that. So I need to make a decision. I need to make a decision of what's the most important thing in my life. And from God's perspective, believe it or not, more important than a placard on my wall, great success, becoming a millionaire, whatever. The most important thing from God's perspective is that I love every person in the local assembly that I have been called to perfectly. And I do that not blindly. Oh, I love you. I love you. Not emotionally. Oh, I have emotions. No. By following what love does and what love does not do in this relationship to the corporate plural body of Christ. We are in relationship with the body. I know oftentimes when we think of relationship, we think of one-on-ones, my relationship to God, my relationship to my spouse, my relationship to what, but we're in relationship in the corporate body. Is there anything that could be more important than walking in the love of God? Anything. The answer is simply no. The terrifying reality is if we were to look at people in 1 Corinthians 13 and see all their gifting and all their stuff, we would think they were born again. That's how short-sighted we are. That's how duped we are. We think people that are gifted and are operating in the power gifts are certainly going to have a high-ranking place. I'm going to a church where the gifts are flowing. Me? I want to be in an assembly where the love is flowing. The gifts will come. We're not neglecting, rejecting, but sometimes, well, I'm just going to leave it there. Why do we talk about this this morning? You're saying, man, I don't feel any love. I'm struggling with somebody, you know, right now, big time. I got defenses in my heart. I'm angry. I'm exasperated with this person. I'm so frustrated with this person. Ask God to baptize your heart with love. And listen to Romans chapter 5. So don't, I'm not just playing games with this. It's the only right thing to do if you're if that desperate. In verse 3 of Romans chapter 5, not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, Knowing that tribulation works patience, that's one of the fruits of love, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope makes not ashamed, here's the key, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, 
which is given unto us. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So if the Holy Ghost has been given unto me, then when the Holy Ghost comes into my heart, he sheds abroad the love of God because God's spirit is God and God is love. So God's spirit is there. So either Lord fill me with the Holy Spirit because if I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit, then I have no love of God in me, quite frankly, if God's presence doesn't come in. So we all believe that we have the Holy Spirit. Make sure you do. And then let the evidence of that spirit be the love. Know you have it. Now employ faith. Know the love of God is in you. And then begin to obey what the word says to do so that love will begin to show up. If I have a seed, an apple seed, that has the potential to produce an apple tree, and I, and I read a, a little book, okay, you got the seed, here's what you need to do. You need to plant it in this soil, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. And then eventually, even though you won't see it for a period of time, even though it will disappear, you won't have any feeling to it, there will be no emotion to it. It's just a seed. But if you put the seed in the right environment, sure enough, just wait, be patient, and you're going to start seeing some evidence that that seed's coming back to life. Well, same thing with love. I have to do what it says to do, and that's kind of planting my seed without feeling or emotion. But if I keep doing what it says to do, eventually it's going to start showing up. It's not showing up. Got to do what the word says to do. And that brings us to 10 o'clock. Amen. I don't know. Well, let's see. Praise the Lord. I've got some folks out here that are saying good morning. I want to say good morning to Pastor Melissa Fletcher. God bless you, Pastor. Can't wait to hear your word that you're bringing for the Feast of Tabernacles. Man, you talk about a love feast. The Feast of Tabernacles is all about the body of Christ. And what would happen in Israel, you have your tribes, right? You have all the 12 tribes of Israel. And throughout the year, they all did their own thing kind of amongst themselves in their community. But during these three great feasts, Passover, Shavuot, and Tabernacles, they were all commanded by God to come together. So all those tribes differing one from another, they would all come together and have a celebration. So it is today with the Feast of Tabernacles coming up on September 20th that God is calling for a gathering together of as many of his kids that will gather together. And there are places all over the world that are going to be celebrating Tabernacles. And so it's a call to gather together. For a love feast, for a love feast, to learn to value and appreciate people we don't even know, people that are different than us. It's a time of reposing, a time of excellence and rest and not anxiety and, you know, the gosh, did it, yeah, I don't get along. Who did you hear that? No, no, no. This is a gathering for the love of God in the body of Christ, which I believe is so strategic right now for the days that we are living in. And if there were one thing I would ask God for in this Feast of Tabernacles 2021, 20, that he would immerse us, that he would just overwhelm us with a baptism of his love. That would be the most awesome thing, that we would all be gathered together, enjoying our fruit fellowship. If Father God would see it and he would smile and go, now, wham! And, and love would whack us in a good way. So good morning, Pastor Melissa Fletcher, and I pray the Lord is building that Feast of Tabernacle message in you. Carol Page Carey, good morning. Carol Page Carey, good morning to you as well. 
Kevin Halger, good morning. Pastor V, good morning, Brother Kevin. Uh, Carol Page Carey, hey, Pastor, I see you are back on YouTube. Hooray, says video is not a test. Yeah, is that, did they let me back on? <laughs> Pastor Jeff and I got in a little trouble last week. I guess we told things that they didn't like us to tell. And so, whatever, praise God. But I'm glad to be back, too. I'm glad they have us back. I uh, didn't know that. But I am broadcasting on YouTube under Vincent Xavier, by the way. It's under Vincent Xavier. I'm not sure if New Wine Ministry is or not. Uh, Shirley Woolsley, our dear friend from Texas. Shirley and Mike, God bless you. Hope you guys are coming for the feast. We would love to see you here. God bless you. Uh, Cindy Messman is with us today. Happy Grandma Day to you with your wonderful, beautiful grandson, Michael. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. I've been praying for him. Hope he's doing well in Jesus' name. We know he will, and praying for God to do some great things in Michael's life. All right, so we have Bonnie Boyer. Hey, Jim and Bonnie, where have you been? Been looking for you guys. Good morning from Portland. We're up in Pringville area today. Have a blessed day. We have a mandate to go forth and share the goodness of God and good news. Hey, are we going to see you guys September 20th to the 27th? Are you going to come stay with us? For the Feast of Tabernacles. It wouldn't be the same without you and all of your friends. God bless you, Jim and Bonnie. Would love to see you. All right. So the River Christian Center, that's, uh, where am I here? River Christian Center. No, I went way too far. Hello, Pastor V. I'm much better. This is Pastor Jeff Bass. Okay. Uh, Thank God. Thanks for prayers. I just read Dave Hodges' article saying the Epsilon variant will be released in September. We must speak to this entity in Jesus' name. Now, uh, uh, Pastor Jeff, if you want to speak on this, I will open the telephone lines and let you do it. Give me one second. Call in, press one, and I'll bring you in. You could share with the body what this is all about. I didn't even hear about that uh, Epsilon variant. So let's speak into that if you can. Carol Carey says, good morning on YouTube, Pastor. Pastor, asking favor that you check chat comments to know our communication to you. Thanks. Okay. I am checking, and we are chatting. Praise the Lord. We should call it check chat, a new thing. All right. Debbie Forrest in New York, key study. God bless you, Debbie Forrest. Welcome to the broadcast. Denny Sossaman, good morning, Pastor Vincent and beloved saints of God. John 13, 35, we love each other because he first loved us. No time to waste or compromise. Amen. Ooh, risky business loving one another, isn't it? <laughs> but it's good. It is certainly good. My dear friend and Pastor Kevin Honeycutt. Good morning, man of God. Outstanding, truthful, needed word. We need his love more than anything. Was talking about this Sunday. Enjoying this program. God bless you. Pastor Kevin Honeycutt will be preaching the word of God right here in the Feast of Tabernacles, September 20th through the 27th. To Melissa Fletcher, Pastor Melissa Fletcher, Pastor Kevin Honeyman, Honeycutt, one from South Dakota, one from Tennessee, coming to bring the word of the Lord, along with Pastor Ken Maddox, Pastor David and Victoria Obenauer, Pastor Patricia and Vincent Xavier, Pastor Michael Villar and Pastor Ken Wagner, teachers, apostles, prophets, words, worshipers, musicians, extraordinaire, food extraordinaire. Get ready, folks. We're going to have an amazing time for the Feast of Tabernacles. You could read all about it on our website, by the way, NWM Global. NWM stands for New Wine Ministry. New N W Wine M Ministry Global. 
nwmglobal.org. Go to the Feast of Tabernacles tab. Go to 20, 2021. Yeah, we have, I wrote something out there. There's a schedule of our speakers, a little bit about what we're doing. We've got some wonderful surprises also getting ready for uh, people that we're going to have an excellent time. I can't talk about it right now, but I will probably next week. Uh, very much looking forward to what's going on this year in the Feast of Tabernacles right here in Northwest Arkansas. Kevin Honeycutt, you are not on YouTube this morning. Okay, well, there you go. I don't know if we are or aren't on YouTube. I know we're broadcasting on Vincent Xavier YouTube right now, Vincent Xavier. Uh, and then Jody Keen. Hey, two days ago, I was doing laps in my pool, and I thought I heard the Lord say to me, tell everybody you know, judgment is coming, and it's going to start with the house of God. I was real taken back by it because I wasn't even thinking on that level. And then last night, I watched her report in a sound like you were confirming it because I've asked the Lord, what's your take out of? Okay, I got a little tweaked on that, Jody, but you're right. Let me tell you what I did all night last night. And maybe I just want to shift a little bit here. What I did all night last night was listen to a conversation in South Dakota in Sioux Falls. And it was in Sioux Falls that Mike Lindell and a number of other individuals were gathered together. And it was a symposium. And they were all talking all night long. True News was there, Edward Zoll. They were uh, taking, uh, doing their part. They had dr drove all the way from Florida. They went up to South Dakota. This is minutes away from David and Victoria's ministry, River of Fire Church and the River of Fire Ministries, uh, just minutes away from our dear friends, Ken and Kathy. So there was a big gathering there. They're going to be there more often. I guess they're a couple more days. As they were talking, don't get upset with me on this one, okay? As they were talking about all the political stuff, all the stuff, all the stuff, all the stuff, one thought kept going through my mind all night long. They are, are not understanding the righteous judgment of God. I appreciate and value what they're doing. I appreciate and value their push for the truth. I appreciate and value all those men, those high-powered men of God that are working and, and operating at the level of understanding that God has given them, and, and maybe that's a part of God's plan to do it, but I balance that also with all of that energy and finance going into what they're doing, America is under judgment, and the only answer for America is repentance. You see, that is a conclusion in my heart and my mind through the biblical truth of what God would require of this nation. After the shedding of innocent blood, after the blasphemous, abominable laws that tore down God's laws and they put those evil laws up, you know, some of the things that we get disgusted with, that we have, we're challenged by in our love, I am so fed up with all these new businesses using the 
rainbow of the LGBTQ community to identify themselves. And what frustrates me about that is that they're using something that belongs to God to validate their blasphemy and their evil and their wickedness. Now, that, to me, is something I probably got to work out, right? But that really bothers me that the LGBT, whether they want to be realtors or open a restaurant, they're now symbolizing the rainbow color, God's rainbow. And they have so twisted and perverted that. Well, it's all because of judgment. We are being judged, particularly the church in America is being judged because we capitulated. We became tolerant. We no longer were salt and light to expose and to declare what was true. We just stopped. America's under judgment. All the money in the world, all of the energy, all of the truth. You see, what, what, what everybody's saying is, man, this is so unjust. It's so unfair for YouTube to kick me off because I talked about this or that or the other thing. That's so unfair. Man, it's so unfair they stole the elections. We got proof here. They were unjust. They, they broke the law. They were, and God is looking from heaven. As, as I understand of, of God, my Father in heaven, he's going, well, you all have been unjust. You're expecting justice when you've been unjust, when they started murdering innocent babies in the womb to the tune of 90 million, and you were silent about it, and now you want justice over an election? Are you kidding me? The churches capitulated and went silent when men were authorized to marry men and women to marry women? Really? And now you want justice? There's no justice when you're under judgment for your unjust actions. And an unjust action could be just being quiet about what they were doing. So we are under judgment. I fully agree that we are under judgment. And unless the church repents, the church is going into the greatest tribulation. A majority of it, the brotherly loved, ones that love God, do what is right before the Lord, not what men approve of. You see, God is not a respecter of men, and he told you and I that we should not respect or have man's admiration or seek the honor of men oh, we're going to capitulate, we're going to be soft, we're going to be cream cheesy with all this stuff. It was never the right thing to do. It was never the right thing to do. And yet denominations in our nation capitulated and sided with this whole agenda. Terrible. Jody says, also, you need to look up Radiant Israel's ministry, Messianic Jewish gives God gives us reports all the time on the vaccinations and the lockdown in Israel. He just came out yesterday and said the prime minister of Israel just basically said that the non-vaxxers are holding up the return of the Messiah and they to get the shot during the month of Elu. Ah, all right, let's do this. I want to shift. Thanks for sharing that, Jody. I want to go to Pastor Jeff Bass. And before I bring him on the air, I have to make sure that my sound qualities are working good here. So I'm going to go to my camera. I'm going to go to my audio. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do this. And now I'm going to say, good morning, Pastor Jeff. God bless you, sir. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. I can hear you very well. Excellent. Can you I hear, hear me? you very well. I do, and so does everybody else. So what is this uh, Epsilon? I've never heard of it. 
Yeah, well, basically it's from an article by Dave Hodges. It just came out today. The article is entitled, The Epsilon Variant Kill Shot to be Released on the American People in September. Then he says, exclusive federal LEO insider report. And, of course, LEO is the acronym for law enforcement officers. You may know that some people, so I'm not uh, trying to get on your intelligence, but but, but LEO stands for law enforcement officers. So basically – uh, Hodges is exposing he's, uh, this Epsilon variant shot, and he's also in this article is going to talk about uh, uh, the CDC director about a week ago had a uh, I won't say secret, but it had a had a um, a meeting with many of the federal law enforcement officers. So starting from the top quickly, he says there is no test to measure the COVID nineteen Delta variant and the soon to be. Um, Epsilon variant, uh, he says, but there, the new variant that is going to be released upon the American people, but it's going to be a name only. There is no Delta variant, he said, and there is no Epsilon variant. However, this Epsilon variant will be, be the so-called kill shot that insiders have been warning about. Many of you are no doubt wondering how can there be a kill shot for a fake variant. Simple. Both the Delta variant and soon-to-be Ballyhooed Epsilon variant will be used to cover up COVID-19 vaccine death and injury. Beyond the scope of this article, there are time-release latent effects that will be emerging from the vaccines. Sources like Celeste Solom predicted this development several months ago, and the eventual death rate from the vaccines were estimated by FEMA to grow to 300,000 per month. Uh, Then he gives the COVID-19 survival rates. If you're zero to 19 years, the actual survival rate for if you did get COVID is 99.997%, 99.98%, 20 to 49 years, 50 to 69, 99.5%, and 70 years old and older, 94.6% survival rate. So he says we are being massively lied to, and in order to accurately cover and expose these lies, um, Hodges had, had interviews with the frontline doctors, and most of you have heard of the frontline doctors, uh, and now the frontline doctors have an attorney named Tom Renz, R-E-N-Z. He's from Ohio. He was on recently. I listened to uh, him in an interview with uh, Stu Peters, and he's also just did an interview with uh, Dave Hodges, and he says this is necessary contextual background, which is needed preparation for the claim that the Delta variant and the soon-to-be Epsilon variant is ravaging the country when in, when in effect these fake variants are indeed cover-ups. Uh, they keep, he's saying basically they're coming up with Delta, Epsilon. I think I told you in our, our conversation yesterday I just read that there is also going to be a Delta Plus uh, the, uh, that they're talking about that it's in Florida and stuff, and they keep coming up with these, he said, to cover up uh, for the deaths that are currently happening, but the deaths aren't happening because of these Delta, Epsilon, or whatever. It's happening because the people are getting uh, shot with the vaccination. So they're covering it up by saying each one of these new variants <laughs> is is more dangerous, and but it's not. And so he's, he has interview with uh, Dr. Renz. And uh, last thing I want to say is the part about where he talked, where uh, they were talking to the uh, 
law enforcement officers fairly long, but I just want to get to that part. Oh, okay. Uh, CDC Director Dr. Walensky gave a briefing to federal law. This is what Hodges says, gave a briefing to federal law enforcement officers. That's where we get Leo. Last week, I have been leaked, according to Hodges, he's been leaked the content and results of that meeting. And for the first time, America will clearly see the variant fraud being perpetrated upon America in order to excuse a lockdown 2.0 which he believes will be similar to the ones that's currently going on in Australia where they're locked down. Before revealing the fraud, a preparatory exposure related facts is needed before the public is fully able to comprehend the extent to the CDC, the FDA gain of function, and other people can be fully exposed for what's going on. And then he ends by saying there is a major false flag coming designed to deliver a permanent lockdown to America, which will accomplish the the following principles, destruction of civil liberties through pandemic exceptions uh, to the Constitution. And it goes on more in depth. I want to just continue uh, just giving you uh, regurgitating information, but I think everyone should be aware of this, what's going on. I know we've talked to friends, relatives, and people, and a lot of people unfortunately, are listening to the mainstream media. Uh, if you can listen to another Stu Peters uh, from yesterday. He had Dr. Jane Ruby on there where they were saying, if you listen to, to the mainstream media, they're saying in Florida it's out of control and hospitals are running over in refrigerated trucks. She, she actually did in, in the video with Stu Peters. She's from that area, uh, uh, South Florida. She went to the hospitals. They're not overflowing. You know, so again, the media is trying to stir up fear, is what you said. So uh, what you taught on about perfect love, you know, drives away fear. I think that's what we have to do and have to pray because that's what the enemy is trying to do, man, use fear. And a lot of people are falling for it. Uh, you know, it's it's this thing is just out of control when the facts just don't prove it. Yeah, it's because there's so much deception and so many lies, and yet it's almost like they're just riding the wave of this satanic deception, and they just keep going with it. They're just going to say, how far can we push this thing? And they possess the power now of the military, supposedly, and all these different things. So, uh, yeah, it's a very strange world, uh, Pastor Jeff. Even people want to go on vacation today. They're having a difficult time doing that. They're having a difficult time just going, hey, let's go over here. And because the vaccinations, the masks, the social distancing, the fear, the, you know, the caution, it's the joy of living has been taken away. It really starting to sound a lot like Revelation chapter 18. Um, the sound of joy and rejoicing will be gone. And it just there's an environment being created, and it is satanic. And it's probably it moving us very swiftly towards this time of the Antichrist rising, no doubt about it. And I, and I think we have to, I mean, I don't think, I know we have to pray because an interesting thing, the other morning I got up and I was tuning the station and I was trying to go to a particular station, but <laughs> we know nothing is by coincidence. I mean, but it, it happened to go to headline news. And so while while I was there, I saw this this article uh, or report from CNN was talking about church in, in, in Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. Of course, as you know, that's where my wife is originally from. But it says, Jacksonville Church, um, pretty much uh, this past Sunday from 8 a.m. 
to 3 p.m. Uh, I don't know if they discontinued their regular scheduled services, but they had stations set up to get all of their their members of congregation uh, uh, inoculated, you know, get get the vaccine because the pastor came out and his wife and said, you know, we had six members to die. And, you know, now there's like a panic and fear. And, and, and that's, that's the, the most hurting thing to me is that there aren't more pastors and churches seeing through the facade, seeing what's going on. You know, they're, they're, they're buying into it. Hey, look, I, you know, get the shot. And <laughs> I'm just saying to myself, man, you know, don't just go on face value what, what you're hearing, what the media and everybody's, you know, putting out. Seek the Lord. Pray fast. Seek God for you know for you know they're they're not questioning. It. They're just looking and you know. Unfortunately, people do die. We do transition, go to be with the Lord, but it's 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 just like hey, I'm I'm taking it on face value. This is what's happening, and you know it's also sad that they're last thing that they're playing the unvaccinated of us against the vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah, and that's part of the judgment. That's part of the division. A house divided cannot stand. And I heard someone say last night in that in that long conversation that we're really don't believe it. We're really not divided. Um, I disagree with that. I believe our nation is very divided right now, um, and that's that's just the way it is. So they, I heard today was supposed to be some kind of national broadcasting at two o'clock. There's some kind of a global test or a national test on our cell phones. And I did hear that Dr. Fauci is now insisting for mandated vaccination for teachers. Uh, they're going to be teaching in the public schools, getting back to the school year. So, um, so much is happening um, all around us. It's kind of closing in. And that's where the wisdom of having a corporate body of Christ, uh, this is God's wisdom, because uh, very soon people will be very restricted in their mobility but if you have a congregation that you can move through, it will make everything a lot more um, doable, if you will. Well, um, you're absolutely yeah. right. I mean, it's happening up here in Virginia where I'm at. I mean, one of the school systems, Loudon, there, I mean, it's a big thing, you know, uh, as far as what the the school boards are trying to force on the parents. Either you wear a mask or you don't. You know, got to accept transgender or you don't. You know, it's uh, uh, they're they're uh, bringing increased security. Uh, it's either tonight or tomorrow this week as kids in this area start to go back to school. Um, I just saw another report where uh, Secretary of Defense is is coming out. If he hasn't already, this may already be old news. That I think by September 15th, all of the military got to take the shot, and that's caused division. So it goes back to what you're saying: a house divided cannot stand. You know. And I think in Proverbs, where it talks about the foundations, you know, so um, as everything you said about judgment and so forth and where you see, you know, you've talked before and talked about lights out and uh, dark darkness and everything, I, I mean, it's coming. It's I truly coming. believe it. I mean, I believe what the Lord has shown you. I, I'm in agreement with you. You know, and even if, uh, thank you, yes, we do stand in agreement. And even if this goes to the Supreme Court, the whole idea about vaccinations being mandated upon people, um, we would have thought because of Donald Trump's uh, time in, in, in promoting these particular Supreme Court justices, 
that they would obviously rule on behalf of the people that we could all make a constitutional decision for ourselves, what we want to do, uh, rather than being forced to do something. But a friend of mine, Pastor Ken, brought this whole thing up about um, the Supreme Court. It may go there, but we're really not sure which way they will even go on something like that. Can you imagine if the Supreme Court of the United States gets involved in this and they pass a ruling mandating that the only way that you will be able to operate within this society is by being vaccinated. That's how close this thing is. It is. And, and, and that's why I think, and we've talked about it before, I think we have to pray uh, secretly and eventually openly. We, 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 we've got to mobilize prayer. Um, I'm reminded of the dream that Solomon had when God asked him, you know, what do you want? And he asked for a discerning heart. You know, some, some translation of wisdom, but he said a discern, in another translation, discerning heart to discern between good and evil. And I think we have to pray that God will replace and put in people who have a discerning heart, the heart of God, who aren't afraid to make godly decisions and who haven't been compromised. You know, uh, because that's that's another thing too. I mean, it to me, I never I, in my lifetime, and I'm 64. I never thought I would see where we would be censored. I, you know, as you talked about how in YouTube uh, last week when I was on your show, I didn't say I was very careful to say allegedly or such and such said, and to for them to just flag that. So there has to be someone advocating on our behalf. And I believe, as I've said before, I do believe that God uses people, but I believe the first avenue is we've got to honor and respect God. So we've got to go to God and ask him, the Father, in the name of Jesus, to intercede on our, on our behalf, to you be the one, raise up. You know, the Bible talks about he raises one up and he put, uh, up, takes another down. So it's, it's, it's him that has to do that, you know, he can touch the hearts of those on the Supreme Court. He can touch the hearts of those who are in authority, only him. But I think if we don't go that route, we're really disrespecting him, dishonoring him, and we're leaning to our own understanding. But the Bible says, in all our ways, acknowledge him, Proverbs 3. So that's the, that's the thing, you know, even if there's a remnant of people who will stand together and call on the name of the Lord and trust in God. That's where I believe our hope is. It's in him and him alone. Well, amen to that. You can't, you can't say it any better. And I'm just reminded in Timothy where Paul was admonishing everybody. What was it? And you know this, I exhort men everywhere. Isn't that what he says? To lift up holy hands. And where is that verse at exactly? That's in uh uh, I exhort men everywhere. Verse chapter two, first Timothy chapter two, verse one, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men uh, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty. Uh, for this is acceptable, good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Wow, what a powerful moment just to pray that men would lift up holy hands and pray. And that's what your movement is. That's what you're calling for. It's something the church should be doing all the time anyways, but what a more specific 
uh, kind of lasered in moment to really pray the will of God. Amen. Amen. Pastor well, Jeff Bass. I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for giving me yeah, the opportunity at the time. And uh, oh, you know, I pray that you won't be censored. Yeah, amen. If so, I get a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. And we're going right. to find another another platform to get out on. Pastor Jeff, God bless you. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for joining me on the God air bless. today. Thank you, right. sir. Bye-bye. And again, I hope that Pastor Jeff and Dee will be joining us for the Feast of Tabernacles. We had to say goodbye on Blog Talk Radio. We are going to leave right now. It's been a great uh, honor to be with all of you. May the Lord bless you today. We'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, right now on OmegaRadio.org, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You want to get really informed about what's going on in the spirit world? Check out this roundtable discussion with Patricia Joy Xavier out of her book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. And then when you're done listening to this broadcast, make sure you send her a little uh, something in the email. Let her know that you listened. You're going to be blessed. It's going to be a great broadcast. We'll see you tomorrow. Shalom and God bless everybody.